But let me tell you a little story about uh, myself. Um, my family uh, is doing a family chat time uh, during uh, the weekdays, sometime during the weekdays. And on our family chat time, chat time uh, we usually uh, tell stories to our kids. And so one of the stories that I can uh, retell to you is the, the story about my, uh, my, my uh, life as a child. I'm the same age with Joash during that time, and I love hunting uh, birds. And so I would go inside the middle of the forest and set up a trap, for, especially for quails. And so one day, I set up a, a trap on top of the hill near the, uh, the river, and uh, the problem is I didn't visit that trap for that day. And I visited it on the next day. I was expecting that I would have a good catch, but when I arrived, I just saw a piece of leg hanging on the thread which I set up to catch the bird. And so, uh, to my dismay, I, I said, I have to set it up again and see who is the uh, criminal who, who took my, my catch. And so I set it up again, and then I visited it in, in, during the lunchtime. It's, it has no catch, and then I visited it in the evening, and behold, there was a big monitor lizard <laughs> tied up on the thread that I set up for uh, catching, uh, yeah, for, on that trap. And so these are the kind of stories that are going on in our family uh, chat time. We usually tell our, our children uh, stories during the night. Uh, we tell them stories not only because we want them to get excited or to have fun on listening to it, but we tell them stories so that they would learn from our experience. And one of the questions that would arise is that how I came to uh, uh, know my wife and how, how we got married. And so the lesson that we told them is that, well, you have to pray for a Christian. You have to pray for a, a believer of Christ, uh, that God would provide you a partner in life. Uh, one of the stories also that I would tell my children are my hardship or my hard work during uh, my study. I would walk 10 kilometers going to my school and then 10 kilometers going back to my home when I was high school. So the, the lesson behind that is that they have to be hardworking or to be patient or endure until they uh, graduate. We tell stories so that our children would learn from us. Uh, the UAE, for example, has its own story and how it became uh, one nation together. It, it is composed of uh, seven emirates and now it is one country. And so they tell it again and again, year after year, so that the people of the UAE would learn the value of uh, unity or the value of uh, uh, sharing one mind, uh, the value of leadership. Uh, look at how they respond to their leaders. As we tell these stories because they help us to be what we are today. Uh, they, they help us so that we can learn from our past. And if there is a mistake, uh, that we would not repeat those kind of mistakes. And so today in our sermon passage, Asaph retells the story of Israel's past. It's a story written in poetry, in a song form, 
so that it will be easily remembered by those who hear it. And he encouraged his generation to tell it to, the, to their children, to their future generation, particularly because he wanted them to remember who God is and how God saved them. So read with me uh, from Psalm 78. Uh, this is a long passage, and so uh, the reason why we are encouraging you to read in, av- in advance is so that uh, by the day that you come, uh, you are ready for the sermon text. And so today we will just read uh, the first eight verses of this passage, and then the rest of the passage will be summarized just for us to get the main point or the main aim of that passage to see what God intends for His people uh, from His word. So let's read from uh, Psalm 78, 1-8. My people, hear my instruction. Listen to my words from my mouth. I will declare wise sayings. I will speak mysteries from the past, things we have heard and known, and that our fathers have passed down to us. We will not hide them from their children, but will tell a future generation the praiseworthy acts of the Lord, His might and the wondrous works He has performed. He established a testimony, testimony in Jacob and set up a law in Israel, which He commanded to our fathers to teach to their children, so that the future generation, children yet to be born, might know. They were to rise and tell their children so that they might, might put their confidence in God and not forget God's words, but keep His commands. Then they would not be like their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation whose heart was not loyal and whose spirit was not faithful to God. Well, the first eight verses of this passage tells us the summary and the aim which Asaph wants us to hear from this passage, or which Asaph wants his people to hear from this passage. Psalm 78 begins with a person calling his people to listen to what he says, to his instructions. These are wise sayings. These are mysteries from the past. More like the stories that I tell my children you got to listen to this. This is exciting. This is amazing. But more, more importantly, you will learn something from this. This psalm is also called a maskil of Asap. Uh, the Hebrew word maskil probably means a contemplative poetry. Asap is possibly contemplating what could have been wrong and what could have been done. For this story is not much like the previous preaching of Pastor Jesse, which is entitled A Victory Song. This song is more like a song of lament. It's a song of lament. There's nothing much to rejoice in this song, but there are so much to learn. And who is Asaph? You can write this down if you are taking notes. From 1 Chronicles chapter 6, we can know that Asaph is on the 14th generation of Levi. And he's four generations away from King David, which came from the line of Judah. It means that he knows the story of Israel very well. And he is part of this story. And he intends to retell this story to his children. 
And the reason why he wants this story to be retold again and again can be read in verse 6 and verse 7 of our passage. Look with me on verse 6 and verse 7. He said that so that a future generation, children yet to be born, might know. Might know. They were to rise and tell their children so that they might put their confidence in God and not forget God's word, but keep His commands. This is what Asaph wants to happen so that they would not forget their God and His works, so that they will keep His command and they will put their confidence in God. But this story did not stop on Asaph's generation. We see the reality that this story has come to us today. And as much as this story has been beneficial to Asaph's generation, this story is also beneficial and timely for us today. This story is also for us. And the aim of the sermon that I would like you to take away when you go out of this building is that you should know the story of God's work of redemption so that you may trust Him and not forget Him and respond with our trust and obedience. To know the story of God's work of redemption so that we may trust Him, not forget Him, and respond with our trust and obedience. And the three sermon points that I would like you to be guided in this passage is, number one, the story that reveals the problem, which we'll discuss more about human sin and rebellion. Number two, the story that reveals the solution, which tells us that the solution is God and His work of redemption. And the last one is, this story requires our response. And that is our repentance and faith and confidence in God. When we now look on verse 9 and 11 of this passage, we can see that in the life of Israel, there's a particular situation. And this is where we begin our first main point. The story that tells the problem. Look with me at verse 9 and 11. It says, The Ephraimite archers turned back on the day of battle. Well, Asaph is not so much concerned with the reason why that they turned back. He's more concerned about their action, their sinful action. He did not detail any reason why they did this, but he implies the harmful result of this kind of action. Imagine that you are in the day of battle with these people, and you are expecting that the Ephraimite archers would point their bows and arrows to the enemy who are approaching your camp to lessen the impact of the attack. But instead of attacking them, they withdraw. They turn back. And so what would happen if you are there in the midst of the battle? You will just be expecting a harmful devastation and annihilation of the entire army. Uh, today, the modern example for that is that think of yourself as army in the modern day. 
and you are one of the foot soldiers that is being sent by your uh, nation on that country where there is a battle. And you requested for an Air Force reinforcement. But two minutes before the attack, the Air Force reinforcement withdraw or maybe they got delayed. What do you think would happen to you? You will be captured by the enemy. You will be imprisoned. And there it is. You might die in the battle. And this is the result of what happened during that day. This is the result of Ephraim's archer's sinful rebellion. So Asap draws our attention not only to their action, but to the, to the result of their action. What do you think uh, is the cause of this problem? Look with me in verse 10 and 11. In verse 10 and 11, we can read that they did not keep God's covenant. They refused to live by His law and they forgot what God had done. And this is the cause of their sinful rebellion. Not, giving, not keeping God's covenant, refusing to live by His law, Forgetting what God had done, it signifies that they are unwilling to trust and put their confidence in God, in His promise, in His rule and reign. It signifies a sinful rebellion. But Asaph's contemplation did not end with the sin, sinful action of Ephraimite's clan. It expanded. The story expanded in a wide picture that reveals to us a significant problem of unbelief of all human beings. The story of Abraham's sinful rebellion is just a miniature of the sinful rebellion of the whole Israelite people. And later on, as we will see, it is the same story with us, with our problem with God. And so let's look at the miniature that Asaph gave us. Israel testing God. As we've seen in the past sermon series that we have in the book of Exodus, God patiently dealt with the people of Israel by delivering them from the slavery of Egypt. We can see how God did that in our passage in Psalm 78, verse 12 to 16, and verse 43 to 53. It's a repetition. It's a summary of what God has done in Egypt. You can take note of those verses. Psalm 78, 12 to 16, and 43 to 53. It's a summary of what God has done in Egypt to deliver His people. But then look on verse 17 and verse 20. This is the condition of the heart of these people. But they continued to sin against him, rebelling in the desert against the Most High. They deliberately tested God, demanding the food they, they craved. Ephraim is not alone. The whole Israelites people did the same thing. They have also this problem of unbelief towards God. The people whom God has revealed His mighty works of deliverance so that they might believe said to one another, Is God able to provide food in the wilderness? They tested God by saying, You gave us water, but where is the bread and the meat? 
And as the father teaches his children, we see God's action towards their sin. God revealed his nature, that he is holy, that he is righteous. Read with me on verse 31 and verse 34. Verse 31 says, God's anger flared up against them, and he killed some of their best men. He struck down Israel's feet, young men. Verse 34, when he killed some of them, the rest began to seek him. They repented and searched for God. And then, as we continue on reading on Psalm 78, we can see that God is compassionate and mercy. In verse 38, he said, it's, it was said, yet he was compassionate. He atoned for their iniquity and did not destroy them. He opened, turned his anger aside and did not unleash all his wrath. He remembered that they were only flesh, a wind that passes and does not return. But look in verse 32. In verse 32, after, verse, after the, that, what happened in verse 31, it says that despite all this, they keep on sinning and did not believe his wondrous works. And then in verse 36 and verse 37, but they deceived him with their mouth. They lied to him with their tongues. Their hearts were insincere toward him and they were unfaithful to his covenant. Israel repented for a while, but then it's a false repentance. Their hearts were insincere, and they were unfaithful to God's covenant. And then when we look finally to verse 56 to 58, look with me in verse 56 to 58. It says that, But they rebelliously tested the Most High God, for they did not keep His decrees. They treacherously turned away like their fathers. They became warped like a faulty bow. They enraged him with their high places and provoked his jealousy with their curved image. The height of their sin is their idolatry. Israel totally rejected God. They forgot who God is and how God has delivered them from their enemies. This is a song that there's not, not so much to rejoice for. It's a song of lament of Asaph. But know that this problem is not only Ephraim's problem. This is not only Israel's problem. It's a problem of all humanity. When we look to the New Testament, Romans 1, 18 to 23 says that Though God has shown to all humanity what can be known about Him, we did not glorify Him as God or show gratitude to Him. God's invisible attribute, that is His eternal power, His being God, has been clearly seen throughout His creation. But our own thinking became worthless. Our senseless hearts were darkened. We became fools by exchanging the beauty of God, the glory of God, and all the things that we can enjoy in God to the glory of what is worthless, to the glory of what is fading, with the glory of created things. 
Romans 1 says that people enjoy the glory of money, sex, pleasure, and the security of idols, the comfort of human affairs. They exchange the enjoyment of God with the enjoyment of created things. This is our reality. Friends, we are all together with Abraham and Israel in their sinful unbelief. We are like Israel in their sinful rebellion. The Word of God in Ephesians 2 says that the reason for this is that we are dead in our trespasses and sins. That we walk in the ways of this world under the ruler of the deceiver who deceived Adam and Eve and tempted them to disobey God. We inherited the sin of our first parents. We sin because we were born in sin and by nature we cannot not sin. That is why we live in our fleshly desires. That is why there's an inclination of flesh and in our thoughts. We are by nature children under the wrath of God. Friends, this is the bigger picture of the story that Asaph is telling in Psalm 78. Ephraim's archers turned back in the day of battle. Israel's sinful rebellion is just a picture of the condition of human's heart. We have a problem of sin that brings God's wrath. It gives the reason why the initial action of the people who have not yet come to faith in Jesus Christ, the initial reaction to the Bible, to the story of the Bible, is antagonism or unbelief. The world and our lives are just like the battlefield of Ephraim's battlefield. But the difference is, our soul is the one that are at stake. At stake. We are prompted with the attack of Satan deceiving us into thinking that this world is all there is. That there is no God. We are the gods of ourselves. We are the masters of our faith and the captains of our soul. Satan, the deceiver, wants us to believe that we are better off without God. That our best interests are served by pursuing our own desires. Just look into the society that we lived in. The golden stories of the past really did a good job of shaping the previous generation. I mean, the, maybe the two generations before us with the worldview and values. The old generation used to think that sex is never and should never happen outside of marriage. But that's not the case anymore today. The older generation values parents disciplining their children. But today, we remove the rod from our children. We let YouTube to educate them with garbage. The older, ge- older generation values the stories of the past. But friends, much more, much more and much, much better than the golden stories of the past is the true principles of the story of the Bible. The story of the Bible tells that God's desire to be with us, that God's desire is to shape our mind 
and our lives according to His holiness and to His righteousness. But because of our sinful nature, our fleshly desires tell us to listen to the worldview that is around us that was formed by sin instead of listening to God's word, the Bible. And that's why if you are a Christian, your ears need to be saturated with the Bible. If you are a Christian, the story of God's redemption and Jesus Christ should be the one revolving in your mind, in your conversation, inside your family, and with your friends, with your brothers and your sisters. Our values and principles should be shaped by the worldview that the Word of God presents to us. Brothers and sisters, you need the story of God and His redeeming love through Jesus Christ more than And to our local church. That is why in our gathering, you may notice, we give priority to the Word of God. We read the Word of God. We pray the, we pray the Word of God. We sing the Word of God to tell to one another the story of God's redemption in Jesus Christ. We sing songs like, Holy, 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 so that we can give hope to the saints who looks forward to the day when God's creature sings Revelations 4.8. Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, who was, who is, and is to come. We prayed the word of God today in Isaiah 55, as Brother Eric has read it, that tells the story of God's compassion for those who would return to Him, confessing that He knows better than us, that His ways are higher than our ways. And his thoughts are higher than our thoughts. That is why we expose it, the Word of God. We reveal the content of the Word of God. We, we go through the book of the Bible, like Luke, just like what we did in the past, and the book of Exodus that we are studying recently, so that we would know and learn the story that it presents. We look and learn from the story of Israel and how God mightily delivered them from slavery. And that is why for pastors like us, we preach the, the word of God. We listen to the reminder of Apostle Paul to Galatians to remain in the gospel. We listen to the writings of Apostle Paul to Timothy to remain in the sound doctrine. We do not only pick the good stops in the Bible like Asaph who did not hide the truth of Israel's sinful rebellion. We preach everything that the gospel contains, including what was written in Ephesians 2, that we are dead in our trespasses, that we need to be made alive through the redemption of God that is in Christ Jesus. That's why we read, we sing, we pray the word of God, the Bible. Because we communicate the story of God and His work of redemption. So that this generation would hear. And so that we can tell our children. So that future generation, children yet to be born, might know that they would put their confidence in God. That they would obey His commands and keep His commands. This story is the same with what the Apostle Paul himself had said, What a wretched man I am! Who will rescue me from this body of death? And this also a story that tells, Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. 
And this is where we go to our next second point. Those, this story tells we have a problem. It shows also the solution that God alone can give. Let's look back on verse 4 and verse 5 of Psalm 78. We will not hide them from their children, but will tell the future generation the praiseworthy acts of the Lord, His might, and the wondrous works He has performed. He established a testimony in, in Jacob and set up a law in Israel, which He commanded our fathers to teach their children. What is there to know in verse 7? What is there to know about God and His work of redemption? What is there that we can know so that we will put our confidence in God? Why can Israel put their confidence in God? It's because verse 5 says that God established a testimony in Jacob. It's because in verse 5 it was written that God set up a law in Israel. What does, what does it mean that God established a testimony in Jacob and he set up a law in Israel? Well, a testimony simply means that by def- dictionary definition is an evidence, a statement, a declaration, a formal or written spoken statement. In other words, it's a proof to hold on. But the Bible is very particular with what it means by saying the testimony of the Lord. It means the word of God. The testimony of the Lord according to Psalms 19 is the law of God. The testimony of the Lord according to Isaiah 8.26 tells us that it should be bound up. It is a God's instruction that should be sealed among his people. Simply to say it is God's written word that reveals who He is and tells His people how to relate to Him as their God. That's why it's called the law of God. God set up a law in Israel. What is the law? The law that God set up in Israel tells how His people should live like their God who is holy. His people should also be holy if God is to dwell with them. But that's not what's happening in the life of Israel. We see in our story how Israel is sinful. The question is, how can God dwell with His own people if they are so depraved, unable not to sin against their God? We learn in the story of Psalm 78 how again and again Israel would rise and then fall rise and fall. We read in verse 12 to 16 how God mightily delivered them from the slavery of Egypt, only to find in verse 17 that they would rebel and test God in the desert. We read in verse 21 to 31 how God revealed Himself as a holy God by punishing sin. And we read in verse 34 how Israel repented and realized who God is but only for a short while. And then we read in verse 36 to 39 how God revealed Himself as a compassionate and forgiving God. How He turned aside His anger and not completely unleashing His entire wrath. 
In verse 40 to 55, we read how God fulfilled His promise to Abraham by apportioning the inheritance of Israel set by giving them their inheritance, settling them in their tents. But then in verse 56 to 64, just like what I have told a while ago, we read God's judgment of Israel's sinful rebellion because Israel rejected God. They worshipped the idols of Canaan. God completely rejected them and He removed His presence by abandoning the tabernacle in Shiloh. He gave them up to captivity and surrendered His own people to their enemies. God revealed His character as a God who judged sinful rebellion. We read how problematic Israel is. But the story of the Bible, when we look at it, not only reveals how Israel is problematic, but all human beings from the time of Adam and Eve, when they rejected God. It seems that in Psalm 78, there's no possible solution. But because God is true to His word and His glory He will not give to another, this problem was solved by God. Look with me in Psalm 78, 65 to 72. The Lord awoke as if from sleep, like a warrior from the effects of wine. He beat back his foes. He gave them lasting disgrace. He rejected the tent of Joseph and did not choose the tribe of Ephraim. He chose instead the tribe of Judah, Mount Zion, which he loved. He built his sanctuary like the heights. Remember that God rejected the tabernacle in Shiloh? Here, he built his sanctuary like the heights, like the earth that he established forever. He chose David, his servant. He took him from the sheep pens. He brought him from the tending ewes to be shepherd over his people, Jacob, over Israel, his inheritance. He shepherded them with a pure heart and guided them with his skillful hearts, heart, I mean hands, sorry. After the fall of man, recorded in the Bible, we see in the storyline of the Bible how God works out his plan of redemption by choosing and saving a people of his own possession. God chooses. God was pleased with Abel over Cain in the story of their sacrifice. We can see how God chose Noah to build an ark to start all over again because the whole humanity are just so sinful during that time. We see in the Bible how God chose Abraham and its offspring to be a blessing to the nations. And then here in our story, God chose the small tribe of Judah. He did not choose the young and mighty men of Israel. The tribe of Joseph and his descendants, Abraham, who are mighty warriors. Instead, God chose a man in the tribe, in the small tribe of Judah. His name is David, a shepherd boy. He chose David to be the shepherd over his people, Jacob or Israel. God revealed himself to David 
God gave him a heart after his own heart, and with a pure heart, King David guided his people with a skillful hands. God did this so that Israel might know that God alone does the work of saving his people. But friends, brothers and sisters, King David is just a foreshadow of the perfect man of God's own choosing. Unlike David, who like his ancestors sinned against God, Jesus, God's own son, lived a perfect life of obedience to God. He did not sin like his ancestors. Unlike Abraham, who turned back in the day of battle, Jesus put his face forward to win the battle against Satan and sin. To win the battle against Satan and not sin. He victoriously won by crushing Satan under his feet. Unlike Adam who fell in the temptation, Jesus did not stumble and sin against God by using his power and authority to command the stone into becoming bread. He did not pursue his own desire. Instead, Jesus leaned and trust on every word that comes out from the mouth of God. He lovingly and not begrudgingly obeyed the Father. He obeyed God even to the point of death, even death on the cross. Jesus died to be the wrath-bearing sacrifice for the sin of his people. He carried the sin of his people to the cross and died the death that we deserve. And the Father proved that his wrath toward us are fully satisfied by accepting Jesus' sacrifice. God raised Jesus from the dead. And then Jesus ascended on high and received from the Father the name that is above every other name. He is the King of kings and He is the Lord of lords. He is now seated on His throne on the right hand of the Father as God the Son to rule and reign over His people, over the entire creation forever and ever. And one day Jesus will return to gather the people who repented from their sin and put their hope, trust, and confidence in Him. He will bring them to a place He prepared for them. But then those who rejected the good news of Jesus Christ, signifying a more and, and clearer blatant rebellion against God who is merciful and loving, they will be judged and be sent eternally to hell. This is what Psalm 78 pictures to us. The Lord awoke as if from sleep, like a warrior from the effects of wine. He beat back his foes. He gave them lasting disgrace. This is what will, God will do to those who disobeyed and rebelled against him during this point of time in Israel. But friends, brothers and sisters, this story, is, who is true from, which is true from the, from the past, is still true until today that I am speaking to you, brothers and sisters. And God's word will always be true and will be fulfilled on, on the end of the age. When we see the fulfillment of Revelations 21, 5 to 8, when it says, Then the one seated on the throne said, Look, I am making everything new. He also said, Right, because these words are faithful and true. 
Then he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will freely give to the thirsty from the spring of the water of life. The one who conquers will inherit these things, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. But the cowards, faithless, detestable, murderers, sexual immo- sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their share will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. The story of Psalm 78 reminds us of humanity's problem. It reminds us about God's offer of salvation through Christ Jesus, His work of redemption. But then, lastly, it also reminds us that this ever-timely story requires our response. So to those who are not a Christian yet and have not put their confidence and hope in Jesus Christ, it requires a response from you. It requires a response for all human beings alive. It tells why the heart of man cannot easily believe the message of the Bible. It is because you need a new heart that is made alive and able to receive the Word of God by the power of the Spirit. You need the Spirit of God to regenerate a new heart, a new life in you, able to repent of your sin and ask Jesus to forgive you and allow King Jesus to rule and reign in your life. The story of God's salvation in Jesus Christ is totally different from the salvation story that this world brings to us. The salvation that this world world teaches us is that you can save yourself by your own power, by your own will, that there's no outside influence that can remove the guilt feelings inside of you, that you just need need self-forgiveness, that your poor self-image, your depression, or any problem like sin and hell can be resolved by your own self-righteousness. The salvation story of this world tells that you just need an inner peace, that it can be achieved by self-meditation, and that you just need to motivate yourself to live the best out of your life. But Psalm 78 counters this idea with a story that tells that it is God alone who can save. To the Christians, what does this story require of you? It requires for you to live a life worthy of God's calling. God called you to be citizen of God's kingdom, a kingdom of holy people washed by the blood of Christ, made righteous by the righteousness of Christ. What does this mean in your life today? It means that you have an ever-present need to remind yourself again and again and again the gospel of God that has saved you. And that is why you need a personal time to study God's word. Because like Israel, our fleshly desire calls for us to sleep and to forget God, to live outside of what God has already provided for us. So as Christians delivered from sin and death, God calls you to live a life delivered from sin and death. It means that the word of God convicts you to repent if you have sinned against him, just like what Brother Eric has helped us in our prayer today. Turn away from your sin. 
Run away from your sin and run towards the gospel of Jesus Christ. And you must run with endurance. It means that you should pray always in the Spirit. Your helper, helper to fight against sin and love God and love others. It means that you should forgive others and leave the judgment to God who will judge all the wrongdoings. What does it mean for our church today? It means that we should not stop on encouraging one another to look to the word of Christ. It means that we should keep our covenant as a church, work and pray for the unity of the church, devote to one another in brotherly love, with humility and gentleness, patiently bear with each other, forgiving, encouraging, building one another up, exercising watchfulness over each other and admonishing one another if necessary. Friends, brothers, and sisters, this story of Psalm 78 revealed our problem of sinful rebellion. It also revealed the solution that God provided through the salvation in Jesus Christ, through the perfect man of his own choosing, Jesus Christ. And now it also requires our response. As what Sister Denise has read a while ago in Hebrews 3.15, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the day of rebellion. Let us all pray.